Hi, I'm Father Chris Alar here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, and it's always an honor to have you with us for Living Divine Mercy here on EWTN. You know, since the end of Vatican II, many people have complained about the lack of reverence in the Mass, and understandably so. And one of the most beautiful things in our worship of our Lord is music, sacred music. In fact, music is the song and the language of the angels. So let us now turn to one of our Marian brothers, Austin, as he tells us a little bit more about this very inspiring topic. Hello, my name is Austin, and I'm a postulant with the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Today I'd like to discuss sacred music, what it is, and why it is integral not only to the liturgy, but to our faith life as Catholics. A very basic question we should ask is, why do we use music as Christians? We've all experienced the power music has over our bodies and our minds to some degree. We play rhythmic drum beats to march into battle, we find ourselves swaying to a waltz or tapping our foot to a rock song. And music can impart fear, wonder, awe, joy, and sadness, affecting us bodily and spiritually. With this understanding, the Church and her sacred music tradition takes the whole human person into account, body and soul, and uses it for the glory of God. Music is a gift from God that gives expression to the soul and dignifies ritual and worship. In Holy Mother Church, we use incense, candles, icons, statues, and music in liturgy, to sanctify and raise all five of our human senses to the Holy Trinity. Sacred music plays a critical role in Catholic worship and has long been an important part of church tradition. We call this music sacred because it is set apart from other forms of music. Its sacredness lies in its subject matter, which are the things of God, the Holy Scriptures, prayers to the angels and saints, and honor and thanksgiving to the Holy Trinity. It is also sacred because of its use, the chants, polyphonic choral settings, and other musical forms in the treasury of the church were composed for the liturgy and flow from the liturgy. These liturgies include the Holy Mass and the Liturgy of the Hours. Just as sacred artwork and architecture represent invisible realities to our physical eyes, sacred music is essential to conveying the solemnity, the holiness, and the power of Christ's sacrifice on the altar. Even though most of us do not see it, the Blessed Trinity, Mary the Queen of Heaven, and all the angels and saints are present at the sacrifice of the Mass. When done well, sacred music expresses this reality to us. Vatican II urges the faithful in Sacrosanctum Concilium that the Church's musical tradition is to be preserved and fostered with great care, and that the musical tradition of the Universal Church is a treasure of inestimable value greater even than that of any other art. Musicians and the congregation at the Holy Mass have the great privilege to cooperate with God and express His beauty in the sacraments, and singing within the tradition of the Church is a sure way of doing just that. The Church's tradition of sacred music finds its origin with the ancient Israelites. The Psalms encapsulate the whole of the human experience and lift all our emotions, fears, desires, and longing to God. From the beginnings of Christianity to the present day, Catholic and Orthodox Christians continue to chant the Psalms. Sacred music has been present throughout the history of Christian worship, from early Christian hymns and chants 
to the development of polyphonic and choral works in the Middle Ages and Renaissance in the Roman Church. The most notable form of sacred music in the Western Church is Gregorian chant. Gregorian chant, also known as Roman chant, is traditionally named after Pope Gregory I, who is credited with instituting the first official Roman liturgy around the year 590. Gregorian chant is vocal music, and its melodies are based on the texts and prayers being sung, often utilizing the same melody for many different texts. When you go to adoration and sing, Tantum ergo sacramentum, you're actually singing Gregorian chant. One day, I was having a conversation with a lay member of our Marian family who described chant in a beautiful way that struck me. She called chant the breath of the heart, God breathing upon us. Her insight was simple, yet more profound than either of us might have realized at the time. After meditating on what she said, I remembered that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was called the Ruach HaKodesh, which means Spirit of God or Breath of God. The chanted Psalms were inspired by the Holy Spirit in the hearts of King David and the Israelites. And as Paul tells us in Romans 8.26, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. Our Lady, who is the spouse of the Holy Spirit, sings a new song unto the Lord, as Psalm 96 says, with her great Magnificat. To express the reality of the graces given to her as Mother of God, she doesn't just speak, she sings a new psalm. The Magnificat is, in fact, a psalm. As Our Lady shows us, the very breath of God is music, a life-giving music. Magnificat, anima mea dominum, et exultavit spiritus meus, in Deo salutari meus. The chant you just heard was a small portion of Our Lady's words in the Magnificat. You may be wondering, where are the instruments? Why does sacred music sound this way? Well, chant is typically sung a cappella, which means unaccompanied by instruments, although sometimes the church organ can play in the background. Pope Pius XI explains in a beautiful way why instruments typically do not accompany chant. In his encyclical, Divini Cultus, he explains, Voices in preference to instruments ought to be heard in the church, the voices of the clergy, the choir, and the congregation. For no instrument, however perfect, however excellent, can surpass the human voice in expressing human thought, especially when it is used by the mind to offer up prayer and praise to Almighty God. He also emphasizes lay participation, saying, in order that the faithful may more actively participate in divine worship, let them be made once more to sing the Gregorian chant. They should not be merely detached and silent spectators, but filled with a deep sense of the beauty of the liturgy. So why does chant sound this way? Well, what makes Gregorian chant different from other forms of music is that it is non-rhythmic. The music follows the words rather than the words remaining constrained to beats and measures and rhythms. The texts of the Psalms, prayers, and liturgy are the primary focus, and the melody is the mode by which we express the meaning in musical language of these sacred texts. 
The notes are written with the words in mind, giving greater shape and language to the words. There is also a deeper theological meaning in the form and style of Gregorian chant. It is simple, solemn, and unified in its parts, just like God, who is perfectly simple. It is transcendent like God, because it is not intended to appeal to our bodies with rhythm, it doesn't target our emotions with grand harmonies, nor our intellects with very clear melodies. Rather, it appeals to our will. It is in our will that we love others and love God. As we know, true love is not an emotion. It is an act of our will, and it is often very difficult. This is the deeper meaning in chant. It is not meant to be catchy for its own sake, and if you don't feel any emotional response to it, that's okay. Because that is ultimately not how we're supposed to love. We are called to love even when we do not feel it, and we are called to serve and love God even when he feels far from us. St. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, tells us that of faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest of the theological virtues. The original Greek word for love is agape, or caritas in Latin, which means charity. Biblical charity is not defined as giving to the poor, though that is very, very good, but rather a choice of love, a love that chooses God simply because he is God. In the modern era, a large part of liturgical music has separated the meaning of the text from the music. The catchiness of musical compositions or upbeat rhythms are now often pride of place without taking into account the solemnity of the words being sung. When I say yes to a question, I nod my head and say yes. Both my body language and my spoken language are in accordance with each other. Now imagine if I told you yes while shaking my head. The spoken word is the same, but my bodily expression speaks the opposite intention. It is the same with music. Sacred music, particularly chant, maintains the harmony, if you will, between expression and meaning. It is not composed for the mere sake of a catchy or pleasant tune, but to emphasize and reveal the sacred reality of the words we are praying for the glory of God. I'd like to offer, especially church musicians, a thought on how we should approach liturgical music. If we were to be standing at the foot of Calvary or at the tomb of our resurrected Lord 2,000 years ago, how would we act? How would we sing? Would we act or sing the same way we now do at Mass? Hopefully so, because every time we participate in Holy Mass, we are standing before the foot of the cross and witnessing Christ's victory over death and sin. Not only is sacred music proper for the worship of the Almighty God, but it is critical for us as Catholics. Roman Rite exorcists also testify that Latin sacred music is a powerful weapon against the demonic because it is in the holy language of the Roman Church. Personally, I play Gregorian chant to accompany my private prayer when I'm sleeping or when I'm feeling anxious and under spiritual attack. The calming and peaceful effect it has is not because it is magic, but because it is prayer, and prayer is a weapon of the greatest power. There is a theological principle, lex orandi, lex credendi, which means the law of prayer is the law of belief. The way that we pray and what we pray can increase our faith or diminish it. For example, we kneel, if we are able, before Jesus in the Eucharist because he is God and we respect and love him. When we stop kneeling, we begin to tell ourselves and others around us that the God of the universe present in the tabernacle is of lesser importance to us. Our physical actions have an effect on our souls and the way we perceive things. 
Sacred music is holy, imbued with the attributes of God, and lifts our minds to heavenly things. Because singing involves our bodies and minds, it sanctifies both and fosters holiness, which is the goal of our lives. When we sing during the liturgy, whether it be in a vernacular language or in a sacred one, we are praying in a way that is beautiful to us, but its primary goal is to be beautiful for God's sake, because we love him. This action of singing within the tradition of the church increases our love for God and the awareness of him during the Mass. Now, to ask a more personal question, what if I don't like sacred music? What if I don't get anything out of sacred music in the liturgy? Well, we have to be very careful about basing our perceptions of sacred music on our own musical tastes and proclivities. We may be tempted to think Holy Mass is boring. I certainly have felt that way before because we do not find the homily or liturgical music emotional, upbeat, or even interesting enough. We may not even understand the words if they're in Latin. But these responses come from a misunderstanding we have of the liturgy. Truthfully, the Holy Mass isn't about us. Rather, it is the eternal action of Christ as the High Priest offering himself to God the Father, something we don't deserve, but is given to us out of his infinite mercy. Keep in mind the words we say after the Our Father, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. We tell God that everything is for him, not for ourselves. We must keep in mind that on every altar at the consecration, heaven is united to earth, and the cosmic sacrifice that Christ made for us is present to us. Therefore, we must strive to make the Holy Mass as heavenly as possible, firstly for God's sake, but secondly for our own sake. We need to experience beauty through music and art because true beauty, divine beauty, is attractive and irresistible, not of this world. Sacred music draws us into Christ and his holy mysteries that save mankind and gives us a glimpse of the beauty awaiting us in heaven. Now back to you, Father Chris. Well, thank you, Austin. That was great. And many of us wish we had your talent in being able to sing so well. Now, let's hear the story of a group of men called Floriani. This is a group that believes in the importance of fostering a rebirth in sacred music. Let's hear their story. Sacred music is putting you in contact with the divine. It's always an opportunity to witness and encounter Christ. This is the music of the church. There's an unbroken chain of Christians worshiping God by singing this music that dates all the way back to the time of Christ. There's something beautiful, not only in the music, but in offering back to God the inspired word he's given us. You might even say it's music with the highest of all purposes, the highest of all goals, namely the worship of God, because it uplifts the soul and really raises the soul to God in prayer. Floriani Sacred Music, 
a men's vocal ensemble pursuing a revival of sacred music in churches across America. The vision for their music is to awaken hearts to the truth and the power of sacred beauty so there can be a return to greater reverence to Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. It all began in 2014 when the foursome saw a musical brotherhood develop at Thomas Aquinas College. We started singing in a men's only ensemble. Experiencing singing sacred chant with other men was an extremely powerful experience. So that's kind of where the first love and I think that the seeds of this mission got planted. You might think that the ideal crowd for this kind of music is Catholics. What we've been discovering is that so many different groups are moved by the healing power of Gregorian chant. We would sing for liturgies, we would sing for holy hours on campus. Gradually though, we started getting invited to sing off campus. No matter where we went, people would come up to us afterwards and be like, what on earth was that? I've never heard that before. It became clear to me that the music is, uh, is powerful and it draws people sort of into a contemplative space. I mean, ultimately, I think that it's drawing people to Christ. After college, the ensemble went their separate ways. But in 2021, The musical foursome felt a deep interest to come back together and lead a full-time renaissance to revive and share sacred music. But they needed to cultivate a passion in others to follow the same mission. The key was to discover an excitement for training and educating youth. Ladies in the back, kind of bring the rows a little closer together. We want to inspire and lead a renaissance in uh, traditional Catholic sacred music. And to do that, we have to change the culture. And in my opinion, the best way to do that is to reach the children. We call it a renaissance. We're looking for a renaissance of sacred beauty, a, re a rebirth, a renewal. So gents, can we soften at the ends of phrases? This isn't something that we're creating, it's a rediscovery. We're just answering the call of the church to value and foster and develop the great tradition of sacred music, which the church said is of greater value than any other art. We work with a lot of choirs, but with kids, we are helping to sort of secure and foster and preserve this music for the next generation. It's a beautiful treasure that we want to make sure is maintained and preserved. The level of intensity and musicality needed to sing Gregorian chants and sacred music is quite high. And to be able to impart this knowledge to our youngest generation 
uh, and to see them do it well is, is quite fulfilling because you see how, how much they love it and it makes you realize how powerful it is. If children could love something like this, you know, how much more we ought to hold on to it as, uh, as adults. We call it the musical liturgical language of the Catholic Church. Just in the last 50 or 60 years, it's been lost. When we rediscovered it, it was rediscovering our heritage, our patrimony, rediscovering the tradition that we felt like had been hidden from us. As our work get, gets out there more, more people want to bring us in to kind of share the inspiration and uh, the renaissance of sacred beauty with them. Since 2021, the men of Floriani Sacred Music have been inspiring audiences of all ages across the country. Providing encounters with beautiful sacred music is how they want to revive the church's rich heritage of touching lives through the art of song. I think at the end of the day, the effects of sacred music can be so much more powerful than we imagine because it moves the soul towards God. I feel extremely blessed to be able to do what we do. In a way, it's the best job in the world because uh, we get to not only share the music that we love, but like all the while we're getting to enter deeper into our own spirituality. I believe that it benefits truly everyone and anyone, no matter where they are in their spiritual journey. Well, thank you to the guys of Floriani for inspiring us so many uh, with their talents in beautiful music and song. Well, we're already a couple weeks into Lent, so let us hear from Father Anthony as he gives us a few ways to persevere in our Lenten journey. Hi, I'm Father Anthony Gramlich of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Welcome to Journey Through Lent. Like New Year's Day, Lent is a time when we attempt to make resolutions to change for the better. Unfortunately, we often make too many resolutions. When we find we cannot keep them, we fall into discouragement. So how are you doing? Have you been practicing the three pillars, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving? That bad, huh? Do not be discouraged. There's still time to prepare your mind, heart, and soul for the extraordinary gift of the resurrection on Easter. In these remaining weeks of Lent, I suggest we learn from the example of St. Faustina, and imitate how she lived Lent in a simple but holy way. How did she do this? Obedience. In the diary, Jesus tells St. Faustina, you will receive a greater reward for your obedience and subjection to your confessor than you will for the practices you will be carrying out. 
But unlike St. Faustina, most of us are not consecrated religious and so do not have a regular confessor. So how can we please the Lord by obedience? The first way is to ask ourselves, how obedient am I to the church and our teaching, especially on difficult topics such as human sexuality or the heart teaching of the Sermon on the Mount? We may be aware of certain difficult aspects of church teaching, but do we live all of it? More importantly, do we even know the church teachings well enough so that we might strive to be obedient? Secondly, in daily life, how often do we deny our own will so as to put others first and love our neighbor as ourselves? St. Therese of Lisieux made a resolution to obey not only her superiors, but all her sisters, as long as what they asked was not sinful. Are there small requests from others that we put off? Do we insist upon our own needs and wants and ignore the needs of others? St. Faustina in her diary records her own small practices for Lent, sleeping without a pillow, remaining a little hungry after meals, praying the chaplet with arms outstretched for the intention of making reparation for sinners and priests. Instead of simply giving up a favorite food until Easter, what other little penances can we offer up? The holy season of Lent is an opportunity. Let's observe it wisely. God bless you. The mercy of the Lord I will sing forever. Before all the people I will sing it, for it is God's greatest attribute, and for us an unending miracle. From the fountain of your mercy, O Lord, flows all happiness and life. And thus all creatures and the whole of creation sing out in ecstasy a song of mercy. The bowels of God's mercy are opened for us through the life of Jesus stretched on the cross. Well, thank you everybody for joining us this week and please be with us next week because we will be talking about something really important today and that is wokeism. What is it and what do you need to know as a Catholic? So until then, may Almighty God bless you, the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.